Hey y'all, welcome back. So I actually recorded a podcast at three o'clock this morning about um, colorism as clickbait and why that is so problematic. And so now we are here for round two. I'm actually recording this podcast generally to be a part of my general personal podcast, but also to serve as one of my class requirements. So this semester I'm taking a class um, called Race, Crime and Justice with Dr. Paul Bones at Texas Women's University. And this class is really exciting and special for me because what I'm writing my dissertation about and what I decided to come to TWU and pursue a terminal degree in sociology, why I decided to pursue a terminal degree in sociology is to study race and crime, specifically the barriers that people face after they are released, specifically black mothers, which is what I'm going to be writing my dissertation about. I'll be starting that probably towards the end of the spring semester. I'm like getting my proposal and everything getting my qualifying paper like kind of doing both at the same time which is really a lot to do at the same time but definitely doable um so today what I'm going to be talking about in general is Michelle Alexander's groundbreaking work the new Jim Crow and also I'm going to be talking about um the ways that I see Alexander's work in the January 6th storming of Congress in which Donald Trump supporters basically try to not basically and tried they did they um they held an insurrection that was perpetuated and called upon by our current president our current well, current president a couple of weeks ago no longer our president uh donald j trump and some of the general things that i saw in this hodgepodge of bullshit that happened that day and like the shock that i think so many Americans felt at this assault on our democracy, this assault on our ideals. Um, and also I'm going to critique the comparisons of what happened at the Capitol with what has generally been happening over the past eight or nine years with Black Lives Matter, uh, black people and their allies protesting against the systemic and state-sanctioned murder of black bodies and black people at the hands of the police. Um, so first and foremost, first and foremost, uh, one of the major themes of Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow is the way that crime has been racialized, the trends that we see in which people are criminalized, which black people have been criminalized since they first came to this country. And I also want to say um, this is really interesting for me because at the same time that I was reading The New Jim Crow, I was also reading The 1619 Project, which is like this really monumental project that came out of the New York Times. I forgot, the the author's name skips my mind right now, but if you Google it, you can find the PDF online. You need to read that. Um, It's been criticized as being a revisionist work of history, um, and people are are trying to compare it to the 1776 Project, which Donald Trump tried to put and make part of, like, American public school curriculum. It's not the same thing. It's not. The 1619 Project, while there are some claims in there that even I, with an an academic background in history... I'm kind of like, okay, but it definitely deserves a read. Um, it definitely deserves to be talked about within literary circles, within scholarly circles, among the, the general public, because never have we ever really talked about American history through the eyes of African Americans, through the eyes of black people, through the eyes of the, the first 20 or 30 slaves that docked in the Virginia coast in 1619 and what their arrival in this country has meant for the way that we construct race the ways that we think about freedom and the ways that certain groups of people are able or unable to socially mobilize upward. Back to Michelle Alexander's book. One of the main themes is how people are criminalized. The book is divided, I believe, into six chapters. The introduction 
the edition of the book that I read, she published this book, if I'm not mistaken, in 2010. The original book came out in 2010. The 10th anniversary edition is the book that I have. And so she's written a new introduction to the book. And in it, she talks about just in the past 10 years, the general trends that have changed within mass incarceration, um, especially in regard to immigrant populations along the border of Texas and Mexico being put into these large-ass detention centers and how that absolutely ties into policing people and the mass, the mass uh, incarceration in the prison industrial complex that we are currently seeing. So first and foremost, uh, Michelle Alexander makes a claim that essentially mass incarceration, um, the prison industrial complex is one of the biggest human, human rights violations of our lifetime. Agreed. 100% agreed. Um, she does a really good job of breaking down chronologically how black people have been denied the right to vote through being criminalized since their arrival in this country. So first and foremost, African-Americans come here um, as slaves. And so largely and generally speaking, they do not have the same rights as the general public. They don't have rights, okay? Then we get to a point where slavery is done away with, it's abolished. Black people experience really and I say, I, I even saying this doesn't feel right, but they experience like maybe 10 or 12 years of actual freedom, okay? This is during the period of Reconstruction, but also during this period of Reconstruction is when you see the birth of the Ku Klux Klan. You see the birth of really uh, a real, like, in my opinion, the birth of, like, the KKK and white supremacist domestic terrorism as we kind of know it to be today as well. As we kind of know it to be today as well. At that point in time, once, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes makes this deal with these Southern politicians so that he'll withdraw the federal troops out of the South so that he can have the presidency. And essentially when he does that, black people are once again put into a state where they are being policed, they're being monitored um and michelle alexander also talks about in the new introduction to the to the 10th anniversary edition of the book how policing people has changed how it's become digital how you know drones and ankle monitors are using to basically keep people imprisoned in their own homes and mind you she does contend that this in her opinion this is better than being you know in a cement cell but it is still a form of imprisonment where where people are essentially denied opportunities and aren't able to take on certain opportunities aren't able to be fully free because of the fact that they're still imprisoned be it digitally digitally or otherwise now she talks about like the historical chronology of how black people have been systemically denied basic rights in this country so you have slavery you have reconstruction you have the birth of jim crow um and she talks about, and i think it's the very first chapter of the book she mentions this man named jarvius cotton and talks about various generations of his family and all the various reasons that they couldn't vote. And he particular, he in particular cannot vote because he is a felon and he's been stripped of his right to vote um, because of his status as a felon. I think this is really interesting and really, um, for me personally, it's hard to see how people could even deny what Alexander is saying, um, especially when you start looking at things like the war on drugs and the way that black people in particular were targeted during this war on drugs even though there is significant evidence that drug use was not increasing crime crime use was not necessarily increasing it just became like this catchphrase perpetuated by the reagan administration 
to essentially, you know, be tough on crime. And unfortunately, that resulted in a lot of black and brown people and specifically in the inner city, black people being locked up for years at a time and being stripped away, you know, their freedom being stripped away and in the process, their rights being stripped away as well. What I want to talk about today is specifically how crime is racialized and as it ties to uh, the January 6th insurrection. So we all know um, over the past 10 or 15 years, and this is especially true because I, I know this firsthand because of where I'm from. I'm from Abilene, Texas, which is a small city in West Texas. Uh, over the past 10 years, the opioid crisis has gotten really bad. Methamphetamines, heroin, that it's like it's taken over the streets of where I'm from. People I know are overdosing. People I went to school with are dead. People's parents are starting to use drugs. Uh, people are, are using drugs when they're pregnant. These are people I knew, people I personally knew growing up. And the opioid crisis is primarily affecting middle class and poor white people. It's not black people that are smoking meth. It's not black people that are doing heroin. You know, crack was the drug that was also always associated with black people, especially black people living in the city. Um, and they got no breaks this these these catchphrases and michelle alexander talks about this in, in her book these catchphrases like you know these welfare creams these crackheads these crack mothers these crack whores all this was these terms and these phrases were put upon black people to further demonize them and criminalize them and associate this drug with them and serve as a basis and a reason for why they should be locked away and their rights should be terminated you have not seen the same we have not seen the same response in regard to white people in the opioid crisis now, all of a sudden, after black people have been, after black communities have been ravished and decimated by crack usage over the past, you know, 30 or 40 some odd years, starting in the 80s, you never saw that. You never saw that type of grace extended to black, you never saw any grace extended to black people, any mercy extended to black people. If they were on drugs, it was their fault. They were, you know, they were stupid. They were worthless. Lock them away. Take their kids away. They don't deserve, you know, any rights. They don't deserve to be parents. You know, and the fact of the matter is that no matter what, when you lock someone away, that's somebody's child. A lot of the time, which and this is what I study, that's somebody's mother. You know, people have their familial ties do not disappear when they are put into jail or when they're in prison for any particular reason. And I think that's always the missing link when we talk about black people. Fast forward to now in the past 10 or 15 years when the opioid crisis has gotten really bad and it's predominantly middle class and lower class white people using these drugs who are getting addicted and who are, you know, falling into the depths of uh, addiction and who are dying off and who are killing themselves and who are, you know, becoming really, really addicted to this drug in a way that it's affecting everything around them, their communities, everything around them. Now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, opioid, you know, drug addiction, it's a problem. Like, we need to be doing something about the opioid crisis. You know, it's something we need to do something about the opioid crisis. We need to do something about, and I, that word, forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, is it, whatever, the crisis with uh, meth and heroin, we need to be doing something about that. The same conversation, the same dialogue was not present when the crack epidemic was happening during the 80s and early 90s. It was not, we need to do something about crack. It was no, lock away the people who are doing crack. It was not, we need to stop letting drugs filter into the United States through South American and Mexican cartels, we need to just lock away the people who are doing the drugs. The same energy is not there for middle class and lower class white people. And this is where privilege comes into play. 
And this is when we're going to start segueing into our conversation about what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, because I guarantee you no black or brown person would ever think to do some shit like that unless they were prepared to die, to die at the hands of the police, at the hands of the military. They would never think to do some shit like that unless they were prepared to die. Trump supporters, in particular, the demographic that he serves and the demographic that supports him the most, they felt entitled enough to go to Washington, D.C., break into our, our Senate and Congress cha- chambers, you know, basically trash people's offices, steal their property, and nothing has essentially happened to them. I read an article the other day in BuzzFeed where the FBI is considering not pressing charges against some of these people. I guarantee you, I guarantee had they been black, had they been black, had they been black lives, they have called out the fucking National Guard for peaceful BLM protesters. They tear gas these people for asking the state to stop killing us. But had it been, had those same people, had it been Black Lives Matters protesters that had stormed Congress because they felt, they know they've been wronged for hundreds of years, for generations, generationally, they would not be alive. They would be facing stringent and hard and long federal sentences. It's not the same, y'all. Like, crime is racialized. It absolutely is racialized. It absolutely is racialized. Deviance is racial. I would I would go further to say that I really want to say, because to me, crime is one thing. Like, crime, I feel, is... Crime is, like, acts that you commit. And I, I have to delve further into this idea of what I'm saying right now. Crime is, like, acts that you commit. But absolutely, I think deviance, more so than crime, deviance is absolutely racialized. Um, Black people, people of color, when they come forward and they protest and they call upon the government and they call upon our larger mainstream society to acknowledge the fact that they've been wronged and the various ways in which they've been wronged, they are almost always discounted and tossed aside and thrown away. Um the rage that they feel you know i'll put it this way i feel like black people in particular we just constantly and consistently are gaslighted by america they do like terrible things to us terrible things to our communities and then they tell us when we are rightfully upset we are rightfully you know experiencing mental and emotional breakdowns over the stuff that we have to see because it's not normal to watch people getting murdered by the police on tv that shit is not normal i don't care what anybody says it's not normal the rate at which it happens is not normal uh when we continue to see this and we continue to like call upon our systems the systems in place to change we're pretty much just like discarded and thrown off to the side and that never ceases to amaze me it never it just never i'm really at a, just a loss of words because i'm just like you know the same thing that we saw on January 6th in regard to them storming Congress, um, the racialization of protest is something we have to continue to talk about. Martin Luther King, what comes to mind a lot of the time, um, especially with John Lewis having passed this past year, and um, various stories of how he was beaten to within an inch of his life um, because they decided to march. And my thing about protest is um, I'm probably a little bit more radical than probably a lot of other people would, play, would say because I've, I've been an activist for almost 
12 years at this point. I've been arrested various times for doing very little. I've seen other protests. I've seen other people. I've seen, you know, like, I've seen Trump protests get violent and nothing happens to these people. But I want to say something about, specifically about what we see and what we've seen in the tradition of black people in particular protesting and often being peaceful. And then nothing happens. Um, What we call, or what some will call riots, begin to erupt because of the lack of inaction on on behalf of our government on behalf of our elected officials on behalf of like the system in which we live we are essentially criminalized for that we're criminalized first and foremost for just peacefully protesting so let's just start there um it never ceases to amaze me that they literally beat john lewis within an inch of his life just for the right to like you know the right to vote the right to exist with dignity as an american citizen never ceases to amaze me never ceases to amaze me how this summer when we saw our black lives matters protesters in various cities peacefully protesting peacefully protesting on behalf of the people who have been murdered on behalf of george floyd brianna taylor Ahmaud arbery you know the list goes on i can i can list so many names over the past years that have sprung up in the midst of this movement and people have been peacefully protesting and they've essentially been demonized um you know i was at the height of protesting back in 2014 when the thing when mike brown's death happened occurred in ferguson and some of the people that were protesting back then are serving like 12 and 15 year sentences for trumped up charges for protesting and they were protesting without weapons they were protesting in a way that is generally peaceful and i look at the people on january 6th that stormed the capitol and i see them with you know they are these people are with guns these people have explosives these people have materials to make explosives they're taking all this shit into our our into government federal institutions federal buildings zip ties like, what the fuck do you have zip ties for? What are you about to do? Like, what is your intention here? Who are you about to kidnap? People who are on record, who broke into this building, who are on record talking about how they wanted to murder Nancy Pelosi. And these people essentially, you know, many of them went home. They have a list. Uh, Central Track is this really prominent Dallas blog. And it has a list of people here in the North Texas area that were at that uh, that insurrection on January 6th. And a good number of these people have returned back to their normal lives. You cannot tell me, you cannot tell me had they been black, that they would have been able to do that. The way that this country functions, the way that our systems function, is never in the benefit, it never it never is really in the benefit of black people. It isn't. The way our criminal justice system is never, it, the way that it functions, the way, by design, is never in the benefit, never works for the benefit of black people um, and of people of color, just generally speaking. Um, I feel like, and this is truly how I feel, I feel like the same when people of color protest, call upon the government to make drastic and radical change, we are automatically, we automatically assume the identity of an enemy of the state we automatically become enemies of the state and we are treated as such like they take swift and drastic action against us 
as fast as possible. But literally, these people on January 6th that stormed the Capitol and held this insurrection, they're not, the same energy is not exerted towards them. What is most saddening to me when I look at what happened on January 6th and when I look at the general election results where 75 million people, even though Joe Biden got a significant, you know, got a significant number more of more votes and he received more votes and he won the election fair and square, 75 million people still voted for Donald Trump. All the shit that he's done over the past four years was not enough to make them think differently. It wasn't enough to think those set to make those 75 million people think, hey, maybe this man isn't fit. Maybe the racist rhetoric that he's perpetuated over the past four years, maybe the hateful things that he said, his lack, his general and, and astounding lack of political decorum and knowledge is not enough to make us maybe can reconsider him as a candidate and maybe want to pick somebody else. It really blows my mind um, that we didn't reject him in a stronger manner. And that there are still politicians like Marjorie Green Taylor and Josh Hawley that are willing to essentially activate his base for their own political gain. It never ceases to amaze me. It's very disheartening, very sad to me. I will also say, um, just generally speaking, I think that what we see here with January 6th is that we really do. We have two different Americas. Um, and this, you know, it really, this is why history is so important. It really dates back all the way to the very founding of our country um, with, and especially, I would say even more so, that I really feel like when the Civil War took place, the South lost that war and they have passed down their distrust and their disdain and their hate for the government. They have passed that shit down generationally because let's face it, Donald Trump, he is not original in the sense of the things that he's saying. These things have been perpetuated and thought about and said by various politicians, public figures for years, for decades, for decades. They finally got a politician who was unabashedly ashamed to just say these things. People were like, yes, the people who believe these things were like, yes, and they put him in office. And had they had their way, they would have, they would still have him in office for another four years. And that hate that Donald Trump was able to grasp a hold of and use for his own political gain is very real. Um, it really speaks to the, the deep, deep divisions that still exist within this country that over, you know, the war, the Civil War ended in 1865. Like, this is almost like what 160 what is this 160 my math is terrible 160 180 years ago somewhere in that ballpark and that generational disdain for government that hate that wanting to like blame other groups of people for your problems is still being passed around perpetuated and people still believe this shit i'll never forget in 2016 when donald trump won the election there was a, uh, a video clip of these Southern college guys singing Dixie. Dixie is what Confederate soldiers used to fucking sing. Like, you cannot tell me that the way that race functions in this country and the way that crime and the way people are criminalized and the way that deviance is thought about is not highly, highly racialized. 
it's 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 unfair and it's it's dismissive to suggest otherwise truly it is and we know and we have so much evidence to the contrary um a few more things so <sighs> michelle alexander's work is really just so groundbreaking to me and i if you are indebted in any way to the civil rights to the modern civil rights movement to the civil rights movement period you need to be paying attention to this book paying attention to the ideas that are within this book and paying attention to the ways that activists now are currently seeking to dismantle the prison industrial complex and dismantle mass incarceration um her book focuses a lot on black men but as a researcher of mass incarceration the prison industrial complex the group that's being fastest incarcerated right now is black women it's black they're locking up black women in record numbers um it should be astounding and it should be alarming to all of us that we have the largest prison population in the entire world that should be very alarming to us and we should be looking and studying the trends in which people are being locked away and why they're being locked away and the variance in sentences and who gets who what type of people get harsher sentences and longer sentences versus what other type of people what other groups of people um i am really waiting to see what's going to happen these next couple of weeks which with this impeachment trial i'm not i they've already i don't think they're going to convict him i'll be honest i i don't i'm not very optimistic that they're actually going to convict him i think that uh republican politicians who have unfortunately whether they like him or not because i know there are a lot of them that don't like him uh mitch mcconnell does not like donald trump but he he has used him for his own political gain like so many other Republican politicians, I'm appalled that they are doing that, that they feel like that's okay. I don't think they're going to actually vote to convict him. Um, and I'm also really interested to see what's going to happen with the people who were at the insurrection on January 6th. And if they're going, because the FBI, you know, going to collect people and all this different stuff. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in the next couple of months in regard to sentencing, in regard to what kind of punishment these people are going to receive. Because I think it needs to be swift and I think it needs to be very, very stringent and tough. Because what they essentially tried to do, Donald Trump called upon his supporters to try and overthrow our government. How are you a patriot if you feel like that's okay? One of the most sacred things about our country are our institutions and the way that we have always had a peaceful transfer of power and the way that we have always, always respected election results. And the way that we have always, always denounced any type of splintering of our government. That's why we had a civil war, was to preserve the union. He called upon his he called upon his supporters to basically overthrow the country. He did. I wish we could pull up his Twitter. He doesn't have one anymore. But I mean the like it's there. It's all over the place. And I'm just I'm shocked that people aren't more appalled by this. And that people don't see the clear discrepancies in the way that these people are being treated versus Black Lives Matter protesters versus the people that were uh, protesting the North Dakota Access Pipeline a couple years ago versus people who are protesting against mass deportation and the caging of families and children, the separation of families and children on the border. I don't get it. And I really believe it's, it's the privilege. It is. It's the privilege of like you feeling like your problems are bigger than everybody else's. You feeling like you're entitled 
because you didn't because the election didn't turn out the way they've had so many people look at these election results y'all there was no fraud there wasn't any there was no fraud joe biden won the election fair and square you know although it wasn't by much five million more people decided that they were tired of trump and his bullshit and so they voted the opposite way or they or they just didn't vote for him and i you know it is it's amazing to me like the temper tantrums that these people feel entitled to throw on such a large scale because it's not just a temper tantrum it's an insurrection it's a temper tantrum that manifested itself in an insurrection to overthrow our government to kill you know to potentially kidnap and murder our elected officials like what wtf guys like i just i don't i don't understand um i only have 30 minutes to talk and i'm i'm approaching the 29th minute so i will say this um do not let this topic die the way that these criminals that assaulted our capital on general on january 6th are being treated versus the way that um Black Lives Matters protesters are treated and the way that other protesters of color are being treated, the way that protest in general is racialized and then used against people of color whenever they actually have enough courage to stand up for themselves and to address their systems and institutions and governments and ask for them to be better and to be more responsible with the way that they treat people. Do not let this conversation die. Um, also, pay attention to the news. Like, really watch what happens with these people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th and how they're going to be punished. Pay attention to the way your elected officials talk about them and don't put these people back in office. For the world of me, Ted Cruz should not be a senator for us anymore. Ted Cruz should not have the honor of being a senator for the state of Texas anymore. I just, I cannot. I can't. Um, I want to wrap up there. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I'm really excited for my classmates to hear it. And, um, you know, my stance on this is strong. It's unwavering. So I hope that you guys have some good and meaningful commentary and I cannot wait to start doing the readings for this week um, for our project that's due on February 14th. I'm going to be talking about Native Americans and um, the systemic ways in which their land, their resources, everything was stripped away from them and then they were further criminalized due to that. So I can't wait to dive into that conversation. Uh, also, check out the co- the podcast I released earlier today about colorism as clickbait and why we should not be engaging in that type of behavior. You guys have a great Sunday, and I'll talk to you later. Take care.